think it's bad news for the English game. We're not creative enough, and we're not positive enough. It's coming home, it's coming home, it's coming, football's coming home. We'll go on getting back, so I'm getting back, so I'm getting back, so I'm getting back. Ah, the sounds of three lions. More of that to come. But welcome to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast. The podcast that's more 90s than Mark Goodyear and the top 40 on a Sunday. Remember trying to get a cassette in and try and record the top 40? Yeah, kids are today in their downloads. They don't know, do they? My name's Ash Rose, your host and guide on this, the original 1990s football podcast. And I have to say, as much as I love a 1990s football podcast, as I'm the host, and as much as I love 1990s football, how great is 2018 turning out to be? Wherever you are, however you listen to this, whatever time of day it is, there's only three words that really matter right now. It's coming home. And where was that born? Oh yes, 1996 people, that's 22 years ago and we would be amiss not to celebrate football's coming home and who better to help us than the guest we have on today's show. Yes, today is a special episode, we're jumping on the glorious summer of 2018 on that bandwagon, cheering on Gareth Southgate boys. Oh, such a nice symmetry, isn't there, with Gareth Southgate and 96 and the 90s football podcast and what the man is doing now. Do you think he missed that penalty just to get to this point? I bloody hope not, because that was a horrible night. But even so, we are celebrating the fact that we're in a World Cup semi-final for the first time since 1990, Italia 90, of course, and Euro 96 in 1996. So we are celebrating by the best way we could possibly do. We've already teased this on a couple of episodes back. Uh, this is the reason we've waited a week to not do this is this week in the 90s last week, just because there wasn't really a lot to talk about in terms of the 90s. And we want to, really, everyone wants to talk about England, don't they? So we want to talk about England, we want to talk about Three Lions, and today we are speaking to the man or the co-wrote Three Lions in 1996, a cultural icon, Mr. David Baddiel is our special guest. A whole episode of us talking to David Baddiel, just about the song, about the feeling, not just in 1996 where I think we've said on a number of occasions how much that summer means to us as football fans who were around at the time, the buzz, the feel. But 2018, because slowly but surely, it's turning out to be the same sort of summer, isn't it? The weather is glorious. It feels like it's been hot for like weeks now, although sleeping hasn't been fun. But even so, the weather has been glorious. Uh, the football, just even outside of England, has been a great World Cup. But inside the England camp, we've got a team that we finally believe in, much like 1996 as well. So yeah, we thought, what, who better to speak to and, and ask him about these crazy memes that are going around? How many have you seen? I mean, the memes have been crazy, haven't they? Uh, I've seen a Peppa Pig one, which my daughter appreciated. Uh, Only Fools and Horses, uh, Wizard of Oz, uh, Six Sense. You name it, someone has stuck It's Coming Home onto it. And I think it's absolutely brilliant. It must be bizarre to hear from David Baddiel about it. But you're going to hear, because it's all here on this special episode of Alive and Kicking. Before we get to it, though, I have to say this, and I think I tweeted at the time. There's been some sort of activity around Twitter and social, blah, blah, blah that people don't know the words, the three lions, that instead of Jules Remey still gleaming, which, you know, the trophy that we lifted in 1966, blah, 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 people for years have been singing Jules Remain still gleaming. 
What? What are you on about, people? The crown jewels? What does this lyric mean to you? Absolutely insane that people... I just didn't even imagine that people would get these words wrong. We've heard it so often, and we're hearing it so often now. And congratulations, because it's number one as well! I'm recording this on a Monday morning, just so the charts have already been happened. We did speak to uh, David on uh, Saturday morning, so the charts were slightly different then. But congratulations to David Baddiel, Free Lions, Frank Skinner, Ian Brody of the Lightning Seeds. Back to the top, back to number one. They haven't knocked off, uh, what was it, the Fugees this time, or Gina G. Uh, I don't know who they've knocked off. Modern music isn't my thing. I'm keeping it 90s as always. Um, but they are number one in the charts. I mean, the country's gone football blooming mad as well, haven't they? So here's hoping the uh, the Three Lions song leads England to glory this week in the semi-final against Croatia, which is on Wednesday. And uh, maybe next time I speak to you, we could be World Cup winners. Oh, I don't even like to say it because I don't want to jinx it too, too much. But without further ado, I'm not going to sort of Harper on for too long because you're probably here to listen to David Baddiel. So this uh, interview is not by me. It's done by Joel Young, the regular here on AK90s. Pretty much my co-host now, sidekick, whatever you want to call him. A legend. That's what I'm going to call him. Um, he speaks to David Baddiel. Um, he speaks to him about Three Lions now, Three Lions in 98. A little quick back uh, chat about Chelsea, uh, about Fantasy Football League. Even asking him if he'd ever bring back Fantasy Football League for a new uh, new series in 2018. Or if he'd even rewrite Three Lions if we won the World Cup. Find out what he says in just a moment. Um, a little just sort of disclaimer, I must say. Uh, the way we recorded this interview was pretty difficult in the end. I won't bore you with behind-the-curtain details. Um, but in the end, it was only one way we could uh, record this interview. So in parts... David is a little bit quiet, so whatever you're, way you're listening to this, um, I'd turn it up as much as you can, um, just because uh, some of the recording, just because it was out of our hands, in parts is a tad quiet, um, perfectly um, audible, you can hear it, I would just advise just to turn your device up, um, you might get Joel a bit loud at some points, um, but that's Joel isn't it, but if you want to hear perfectly what David says, yeah, just turn your device up just slightly, just because of the way we recorded it. Um, that's the only way we could get it edited uh, perfectly so you guys could hear. So here, in an exclusive, exclusive, complete exclusive, here is Alive and Kickins, Joel Young, speaking to David Baddiel on the eve of England-Sweden. As we go into a week where England are in a semi-final, could be in a final, here's what David Baddiel had to say. It's coming home, it's coming home, it's coming, football's coming home. Enjoy. Sit back and enjoy a nostalgic ride through the decade that truly changed the face of football. If the 90s are now retro, then it's time for a celebration. Welcome to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast. All right, then. Uh, this is unusual, me doing the interviews on AK90s, but here we are. On the other end of the phone, I have comedian, author, co-writer of the current number 24 smash in the hit parade, and probably one of the most culturally important people in 90s football, David Baddiel. Thank you very much for joining us today. Hello, Joel. Um, can I just say straight away that you've, you've raised an issue there which has been confusing me all week, which is all week people were telling me that three lines have gone back to number one, or he's going to go back to number one. But I think you're right as far as I can make out. The official UK chart set was slightly disappointing, number 24. And then I, I asked some people about this, and they said, yeah, but the charts are not like they used to be. You know, it's number one in this chart, but not number one in that chart. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it just brings out my 90s-ness. Because in the 90s, three lines went to number one, beat the 
took Gina G off number one, then the Fuji's knocked us off number one, then it went back to number one. It was all clear, but now I don't really understand it. I think that you were number one on iTunes and number one on Spotify, but on the yeah. official chart, it's 24. So, so that tells us something, doesn't it? Which is that even though it appears to be like the whole country, it's probably mainly just my generation and a bit below because they're the ones who do iTunes. Somewhere younger than that, they're just listening to George Ezra and they're completely unaware that any of this is going on. <laughs> well, I, I mean, we'll get to this and the fact that it's gone crazy viral again this week. I've just seen there's just been a news report on and they were playing it at Buckingham Palace, they were playing it at... Uh, uh, Windsor Castle. Um, mm. Michael McIntyre was singing it, so I hope you're going to charge him. Michael uh, McIntyre. That's really obviously never mind Buckingham Palace. Michael McIntyre. I don't know who else they were doing it. I got because I get sent them all on Twitter. Uh, the cast of Hamilton sung it, <laughs> which is sort of amazing because, as you may know about that musical, it's very much not about celebrating English victories. Uh, but nonetheless, the cast of Hamilton were backstage singing it this morning. So amazing. I mean, it, it, it is you know. Uh, what it, what it is, is that uh, it was always a big communal thing, obviously, in the 90s. We didn't have social media then. So even though I think the whole country was singing it in the 1990s, I only really heard that at Wembley, which was brilliant. But now, because of social media, I can see them doing it, you know, in Birmingham or in wherever, you know, people doing it all over the country, which is incredible. I had a theory about it, in that, yeah. obviously, when, when you go to your clubs... Uh, and you've all got your own songs when you go to your clubs. You know, you at Chelsea, you've got your yeah. songs, we've got our songs at Borough. And, yeah. But when you go to see England, one, it's quite a disparate crowd anyway. And two, yeah. so you don't have those chants that you sing, but obviously when you're an England fan, you have three lions. Yeah, well, I think that's true. Or, and if you go back to the old days, they only ever used to go England, 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 and come on England, that was sort of it. It was unbelievably sparse compared to the about which is the sort of individual wit and terrorist chanting you would have in your clubs um, and yes yeah, so I think it was a, a big gift to England fans to actually have a chant they could sing uh, if I could raise a, a, a sour issue with that I've noticed that the England band who started to do a thing which was why instead of the spontaneous chanting that happens at a football match they started controlling it I don't know if you noticed that yeah, so yeah. since there's been an England band England crowds have started singing God Save the Fucking Queen and Rule Britannia and things like that. And that's because the England band play them, not because the crowd spontaneously sing them. And they don't play Three Lions. I think there's a slight enmity there. I have raised this on Twitter. That the <laughs> England band don't play Three Lions, which is the most obvious song for them to play. Well, they do play. I've heard them play On the Ball, the <laughs> Anton Deck classic. I've heard them play that. But they don't play three lines. Maybe they will today. So they're, so they're just jealous, is that what you're saying? I think that's what we're saying, yeah. But have you ever, I mean, because there used to be the Sheffield Wednesday band, didn't they? And have you ever sat next to them at a game? Because for five minutes you think it's really fun and interesting, and then after that you just want them to fucking die. Uh, well, I have to say, I've never sat next to them, no, and I, I pretty much want them to fucking die, <laughs> or certainly to put their instruments down. Uh, you know, when I watch you on the telly, because I just think, like, oh, you're not real Britannia. Again... You know, and the whole umpiness of it feels to me not very like what a football crowd does, which is this magical thing of organically coming up with songs. And certainly when Three when Lines was happening in 96, that was one of the most amazing things about it. It wasn't imposed by anyone on that Wembley crowd. They just started singing it. 
and then started chanting football coming home when we scored, you know, or when we thought we were about to score or whatever. Was that the so Scotland that, game? Yeah, well, yeah, the Scotland game was when it started. But the most extraordinary moment, and I'd say the most extraordinary moment still, even with it being played by the Royal, whoever it is, outside Buckingham Palace or whatever, even with all the stuff that's happened this week, still the most extraordinary moment in my three Lions life uh, was the song had come out, it had gone to number one, and that was all very exciting, but we thought, well, maybe that's sort of the end of it. And then uh, we hadn't played very well against Switzerland. Your 90s listeners will remember this, of course. In 96, we didn't play very well against Switzerland. I can't remember, what was it, 1-1? One, 1-1, one. One, one, yeah, when she had taken yeah. the lead, and then, oh, I can never pronounce his name, Turk Mesli has got the equaliser, yeah. I think. Yeah, and then in the first half against Scotland, we didn't play very well either. It was kind of grey, the day at that point and then I always say this because I always think he doesn't get much credit particularly since he's been on League of Their Own Jamie Redknapp came on in the second half of uh, England-Scotland and I think he made a big difference in midfield not doing very much just playing short balls across the midfield but it did something because it stabilised the England team and then of course Gary McAllister missed a penalty Gallagher scored that incredible goal we won 2-1 and then was it 2-1? 2-0 2 yeah, two one, and then when the teams went off, the DJ, whose name I don't know, and he's certainly a hero to me for doing this, but I know, I know it was against the wishes of the FA because the FA had said we don't really want three lines played at the end of games when England have won because it's a bit triumphalist and whatever. So he, he wasn't meant to do it, but he did. He put three lines on, and then the whole crowd joined in, like and knew all the words and were singing it as if it was been a classic already. And it was the most unbelievably spontaneous, like, outpouring of, uh, of anything I've, I'd ever heard. Uh, you know, this sort of, like... I mean, you know, don't get me wrong, it was an incredible thing for us, but it was also just an incredible thing for an England fan to suddenly hear this song, which I think summed up all these people's feelings about what England had been through and what it felt like to be an England fan, being sung by everybody spontaneously in that ground in that moment. It's just... Of course, obviously... Something that I find really funny about it is it wasn't the official song that year. Lots of people kind of seem to think that it is and it wasn't. How did it come about in the first place? Was it just an idea between you and Frank? And well, it, it's not completely true, Joel, that it wasn't. It, it, was, it was the official England song. It wasn't the official song of the tournament. Right. So as, as you, what you may mean by that, which is funny, is that the official song of the tournament was by Mick Putnell. Oh, it's dreadful. And, it was a, and I can't remember what it was called. It was we, called we're in this like, together. Because football songs, particularly official tournament songs, are often called something like that, aren't they? Some terrible platitude about, you know, the world coming together or, you know, we're, we're, we're all singing the same song or some bloody nonsense thing that is nothing to do with football, but this is like an inspirational Twitter quote. Um, and so I think he performed that during the opening ceremony. You know, obviously there was no three lines during the opening ceremony. You were like, six people on that. And that, you know, I mean, I'm sorry if you're listening, Nick, and, you know, some of your work's great. But uh, that wasn't his best work, and no one was going to sing that. So Three Lions was, was the official England song, um, but there was a lot of fuss about it because the FA, asked, through through some media, music media bloke called Rick Blasky, asked Ian Brody of The Lightning Seeds to write the song. And Ian, God love him, decided to just, off his own back, ask me and Frank to write the lyrics because he felt that at the time for the fantasy football that we represented the football fan in, 
then we said A, yes, and B, cheekily said, can we sing it as well? Can we, can we be in the song and sing it as well? And I've always thought that's an amazing thing that Ian said yes, because most pop stars would have said fuck off at that point. If you imagine Liam Gallagher, Elvis, you know, anyone at all, if their nearest fist who then asked her, you know, and said, can we sing it? They'd have just said, don't be ridiculous, I'm the pop star. But Ian, because he's a very sweet, humble man, said, yeah, all right. <laughs> and, uh, so that's how we got on to, to singing it as well. And then it was just a question of Ian wrote the lyrics. Ian wrote the music, sent us the music with like the la 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 backing. And then me and Frank just sat around for three days in the flat that we shared together and very much thought of this idea of like, let's try and sum up what it means to be an English fan and not sing a song about how we're all in this together or a song about how we're going to win like this time more than any other time or whatever. Well, not true. They don't wrestle what it means. And so the key to Three Lions were why it's such a success. Apart from the intuitive music is, it's a negative song about supporting England. It's a vulnerable song about supporting England. It says, we have been disappointing and most people think we're shit, but maybe not. You know, it's got that magical idea of on the day we might play like we sometimes can. But what it does, and I'm getting my music journalist head on now, but from a music point of view, it tells that same story in that it starts off very low-key and then yeah. suddenly changes and builds and it becomes not triumphalist, but certainly very sunny days, happy days are here again in in the way the music flows. And I always thought that was a really clever trick with it. Yeah, no, that's definitely what it does. But he did that without having the lyrics. Um, we, we've had probably without even the, the, the thematic idea of we're going to start vulnerable and sad. I don't think we've come up with that yet. I think he just, I think we talked about football's coming home as a sort of idea. I think that was the tagline of the tournament, wasn't it? Yeah, that was the tagline of the tournament. Yeah. So we, it was football comes home. And we said, let's make it a come while, but it's coming home. Um, and then Ian had gone away and come up with that melody. But he had, we, we then sat down with him, the music that he'd, he'd written and, and did the whole thing of what he just said, which is we're going to start downbeat and pissed off and, and it's going to rise. Um, and I think, you know, that is true about England, because although England have had a disappointing international history, they have had studied moments of, of extraordinary greatness within that. And so that's what that's why it sort of works, I think. And I don't think it's about being English. Being English is sort of quite hard to be English and be, you know, unqualifiedly proud of your country. And if you are, you're probably a bit of a cunt. <laughs> you know what I mean? Whereas, actually, it's okay to be proud of being English in a slightly more ironic, downbeat, you know, qualified way, and that's what the song is. So, um, so we're going to move on to France in 98. Uh, you moved to ITV with Fantasy Football at that point, um, yeah. and, and you didn't get shit, which generally seems to be the, uh, seems to be the rule, isn't it? Once you move from the BBC to ITV, then everything falls you off a cliff. <laughs> about being like, in fact, there's a, I think it's with Eusebio, uh, the Phoenix with Eusebio uh, during that World Cup 1981. They got quite a lot of him saying, oh yeah, you're in ITV now. And I think at one point he said in Portuguese for the subtitles, saying, there's more to life than money, you know. <laughs> Not 
How, was it just you and Frank writing fantasy football from the start when it was on ITV? Just the two of you and... Oh God, how long would yeah. that take? A long time. I mean, that's one of the main reasons why we don't do it anymore. <laughs> fact, we get asked quite a lot. It is actually a very lot of work, fantasy football. Um, it takes a lot of work to put that show together. A lot of ideas, a lot of sketches, you know, a lot of clips watching, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It, it wasn't, it was not, even though there was loads of admin and loads of edges to it. It, it, it took a lot of putting together. We did have a brilliant team who suggested ideas and stuff, so Andy Jacobs and Paul Hawksby, who are now on TalkSport, uh, they both worked on the show, Andy was the original producer, Paul was a big researcher on it, we had lots of people on the show, in fact, lots of on the show who have gone on to incredible things, uh, like Ian Morris uh, was my runner on the show, and then Matthew, a producer, he, he created the Inbetweeners. Dan Mazer was on the show, who writes Borat with Sasha Perry Curry. You know, there's some incredible people on fantasy football, but it was all written by me and Frank. It's just, just an incredible sort of body of work. And it's, it's, I suppose it's kind of like working on TV birth, I suppose, in that you want to find the minutiae and the little guy yes. and the thing that nobody's seen. Yeah. As yeah. well as... I, mean, I, I mean, I love TV birth, but I have always thought it's basically fantasy football, not about football. <laughs> it's basically somebody looked at TV the way that we looked at football on TV. Uh, but, you know, it's really funny. Um, but yeah, yeah, it was it was a, it was a, a, an exhausting chasing as well as a very enjoyable one. What, which so what was the process with the Phoenix from the Flames? Then did you just sort of have a load of football moments that you wanted to do, and then see if anybody would play ball? And did you film? Yeah, them all well, before the Flames, actually, the idea for that came from a mate of mine who was credited on the show, and I think always always got some money for each Phoenix we did, called uh, Tim Scott, um, who. Uh, just written to me ages before. I think when I was doing a pre-fantasy football, I did a show called Standing Room Only, which I tell you, will you remember that? Uh, vaguely, yeah. The, the first ever sort of fanzine-like show on TV was called Standing Room Only. Simon O'Brien did it. It was a bloke who was in Brookside. And me and, Rob, me, and, me and Rob Newman did sketches on it. Hmm. And they, they are available on YouTube. They're not as funny, I would say, as anything me and Frank did later on. But it's quite funny. We call them Seth Meyers Comedy Shorts. Uh, which I think is pretty good. And, uh, yeah, I, I think Tim wrote to me while I was doing that and said, what about this idea of like going to an old footballer's house and recreating a great goal in his back garden? And so we, we used that idea on fantasy football. Uh, and then, yeah, for a long time it was just, well, what are the obvious great football moments? You know, and, and what should we do? But then we had some, like, I think the key one in a way was for our third one, we did Eddie Cavana who was the first ever football hooligan. He, was, he ran on the pitch during the FA Cup final. He was an Everton fan in 1966. Right. And at the time, if you watch it, no one's worried. Everyone thinks, oh, this is fun. Look, it's a play. He's got glasses and he's bald and he's wearing a suit. Incredibly <laughs> but he still does get taken down by a copper. But the, the commentary are like, well, they're all just happy about it. They just think it's part of the joy. And it's well before things have gone very wrong in the 70s. But we recreated that with him. And then we realised, you know, that the Phoenix is were more than just recreation. They were going to be comedy sketches in their own right. It's um, so they and so you did them all before the series started, or just no, 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 no. We did them during the series, generally. Oh, blimey! You must have been. We, wrote, we might have written them before the series started, but we filmed them, I think, while the series was on. Crikey! Yeah. That's an absolute bloody strain on the heart and the head. That. Well, I'll tell you what; it's a real strain on the heart with it. At least ten percent of them, the footballer would arrive not having any idea what it was. Especially, obviously, if it was an, uh, like an international footballer, which it often was later on, you know, they'd turn up and 
remember the best one is Mario Kempes yeah. arrived and he'd been flown all the way from Argentina. And, I, and what we were recreating was, you, know, you, you might have to remind me, but in, in 78, I think, there was a game where Argentina needed to score six or seven was goals against Peru. Peru. Peru, I think. Yeah, against Peru. Yeah. And the rumour has always been, and hey, I'm certainly not going to say either way, but the rumour has always been, because I think a huge grain, uh, a huge amount of grain was delivered by Argentina to Peru the day after. <laughs> <laughs> right, which sounds very medieval, but anyway, uh, that Peru through that game, right? So Kempe scored five goals in that game. So he arrives, and basically our whole sketch is based on how obvious it is that Peru are just throwing the game. And it also included him having to dress up as Super Mario. And he, when, he, when he read it and it was translated to him by someone who spoke uh, Spanish, he just, you know, he just said, no, I'm not doing this. That'd be ridiculous. And we had to spend two hours coaxing Mario Kempe out of his trailer. And eventually he did it, and he wore the Super Mario costume and everything. It was kind of amazing, really. I suppose, to some extent, you must have thought, well, I've flown all the way to London. I'm going to have to do it. But it wasn't just him. I remember George Best. We turned up at George Best's health farm to do the, mo- <laughs> that's, the that's moment when he place. kicked... I know, brilliant. When he kicked the ball out of, um, who was it, uh, Peter Shilton's hand or Ray Clements' hand? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, uh, and scored, and the goal was just allowed. But anyway, he didn't know anything about it. And Dennis Law was sharing his week in his health farm with him. And Dennis Law said, don't do this, George. You know, they're just going to take the piss. And obviously we were, but that was part of the joke. Anyway, he did it in the end. David Platt, here's a really good one, which obviously, should we end up against Belgium in the final, will be, you know, an interesting one. They, we recreated David Platt's goal against Belgium in extra time in 1990. The beautiful flew, swivel and... The beautiful goal, yeah. But we he was playing for Genoa, I think, at the time. Yeah. And we flew to Genoa, went to his incredible house he was living in, and he just said, I thought it was going to be an interview. I didn't know. He hadn't watched the show. He'd been in Italy. He didn't know anything about it. And he really didn't want to do it. He just thought it sounds a bit stupid. Well, that was quite often the reaction, you know, uh, players just thought, slightly shy players thought, you know, I don't want to do this. Oh, what's his name? Um, the guy at Southampton, what's his name? He's a Dutch player. Uh, Van, hold on, who am I thinking? Sorry? Uh, Ulrich Van Bommel. No, no, no the manager. Um, and who, oh God, who's someone I should know. Oh, Ronald Koeman? Uh, yeah, Koeman. Yeah. So Koeman, we got him to dress up uh, as the Milky Bar Kid, because he looks a bit like the Milky Bar Kid, right? And in the end, he just sat there, he put the hat on, he wouldn't put the holster or any other cowboy gear, <laughs> and when we said, oh, please, Ron, he just looked at us and said, I am not Gaza. I think it would be different now in that you've either got a load of agents who are surrounding them and you wouldn't even get near the player to start off with. Yeah. Or they would be so... I always think it's a failure when people go on with Vic and Bob and, and try to be funny back, and I think you'd probably have that problem now, wouldn't you? you know, yeah, there's somebody... a bit of that. And, and I've seen also lots of people doing things like it. There's something at the moment, actually. I don't know what it was called now, but if you're sending me two blokes who are doing it, but they just they just literally try and recreate it properly. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, who knows, really? I mean, I remember towards the end, a couple of footballers, sort of modern footballers, being a bit like, I don't really want to do this, and I've sort of been forced into it by my agent because they think it would be good PR. So I think you're right. I think it would have gone a bit that way. Um, and obviously, you're never, ever, get, ever going to bring it back. <laughs> Full stop. Uh, I don't think so. We, we were asked... Uh, in 2016, uh, 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 during the Euros for that, uh, to bring it back because it was, I think, 30 years in 
we did talk about it, about doing a one-off or whatever, and I, I sort of was quite keen and but wasn't sure. And then I think Frank, in the end, was too worried about the legacy. I think Frank was more worried than I was that, oh, yeah, but it's a brilliant show and we don't want to we do something now when we're old and shit. <laughs> Uh, it, won't, it won't be up to it. I don't know. I mean, it is, you know, it's a complicated one. because It's a great show, but, you know, you don't know if you want to necessarily go back and do that again. I mean, actually, I remember when we did it in Euro 2004, it, people, or critics anyway, not that you should necessarily listen to them, but critics saying, oh, you know, this show shouldn't have been brought back, blah, blah, blah. That's what people say. Mm. You know, uh, having having had hundreds of people every day on Twitter saying, you must bring it back. If we bring it back, there'll be people who say you shouldn't have brought it back. <laughs> David, you couldn't be any worse than James Corden's fucking efforts. Well, that's true. I'm not going to talk about that because he's just... I've just seen him, right? My seven-year-old son, I've been singing football's coming home just randomly every hour since 6am. Thank you for being lightly to you. Thanks for what an incredible thing you've created. Mm. So I can't possibly say anything negative about James Corden. All right. He's a, he's a sweet man. Okay. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll leave that with you. <laughs> yeah. um, how on earth did you do the show after the Argentina game? That was the other thing that I didn't like about doing the show live on ITV. Uh, you know, this, this is a whole, like, you know, the show had a, a, sort of a lot of purchase when it when it went live and it was straight after the games and everyone watched it. But as a comedy show, which at the heart it is, you know, it's a football show, but at heart, fantasy football was a comedy show. And to do a comedy show straight after England had gone out of the World Cup is very, very difficult. And if you actually watch that show, it's kind of cathartic because Frank smashes up the telly full stop i mean all i've ever done is live telly and it's you know you've got to plan everything down and just to be just to change things on the wit of something else that's apparently unconnected it's just yeah, mental yeah to be honest with you i mean i think um, comedy isn't good live i mean in live telly generally i think if you well comedy is great live to go and see live you know let's not forget that will have been worked out and the comedian will have been doing a set that he's been doing or she's been doing for ages or whatever, even if there's bits of ad-lib, whereas you're basically at the mercy of a whole load of things doing live TV, and in our case, not least, how well the England team can play, <laughs> which, is, which is making yourself a hostage for fortune and a half. Mm, well, you're 
you're always playing with fire there. I've just got a couple yeah. of questions before we wrap up and I'll let you get off. Obviously, Hang on, you got, didn't you have some 90s football questions? I, well, I did, yeah. yeah I was, well, we normally do that at the start, but we just railed into it. I mean, obviously, you're a I Chelsea... Know, you can ask me those questions if you'd like. Well, I'll ask you them now. Uh, obviously, you're a Chelsea fan. Yeah. Uh, who's your favourite 90s Chelsea's player? And I have a feeling we might fall out over this, but go on. It's over. Yeah, of course Are it we is. Are going to fall out over that? Yeah, yeah, we're going to fall out over that. Uh, well, I'm a Middlesbrough fan, and I would have said Janino. Yeah. Right. And Zola won Player of the Year that year, even though he didn't play the whole season, and it still oh. drives me fucking wild. Oh, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> no, I can see how that... Well, I'm going to fall out over that, oh, because <laughs> that's, a, that's a very particular issue with Jack Franco. But he was an incredible player. I mean, you know, the whole renaissance of Chelsea uh, that began when Matthew Harding came to the club, and then when Hullet came and Hoddle and all that, you know... Yeah, I was I was at all those finals. I was at all those finals that you beat us in. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, I was there. I was very much there when Di Matteo scored that goal. Uh, oh God! It was amazing. Uh, Do you want to tell me your story about that goal, and then I'll tell you what happened at the other end? Well, I, I just remember because I'd been there in '94 when we lost four one to United, which was hideous. And uh, fantasy football was on, and I remember walking back in the rain and all these fucking United fans shouting back fantasy football four one. Right, so that had been awful. My, my previous, most recent experience at Wembley was in the FA Cup final, and then it was totally brilliant. I'm afraid <laughs> to go in 1997 and for that goal to kick off, you know, uh, us winning the Cup. But what's your experience? Well, it was it was Janino that gave it away, which is, still upsets me to this day. But I just remember being sat in our end, and the goal just rockets over the top of Ben Roberts' head, and all our yeah. end is completely silent. And, you know, yeah. this is the season where we'd already lost one cup final. We'd been relegated. We'd had the three points. And one bloke about three rows behind us just stood up and went, oh, what? And I'm like, <laughs> sums it up. That absolutely sums up the whole experience of that season, even though it was the greatest football season as a Middlesbrough fan that I've ever experienced. But uh, just yeah. that guy standing up and going, oh, what? Just yeah, it's, It will stick with me forever, that. Yeah. Uh, or favourite. Uh, we were, I think it was 97 as well. We yeah. were losing to Liverpool 2 0. And uh, I remember we might, I always go to Chelsea with my brother, Ivan, my older brother. And I'd sort of lost interest in that game because I thought at half time, well, clearly we've lost this. And we're shit and whatever. And he, I remember him saying, <laughs> kind of, you know, you, if we still believe, basically, you've got to focus, you've got to believe we're going to win, we've got to, you know get behind the team and all that stuff. It was kind of, you know, not something you'd already done, but I think we did. I thought, yeah, he's right. And then we won 4-2 and Viali scored twice. Oh, yeah. And Viali's two goals there, I have a very brilliant memory of thinking, you know, possibly something that bears well into the Three Lions idea that, you know, if you do believe, and if you get as a fan, keep hoping and believing, then something might happen. And, and we still believe is the opening of the 98 version, yeah. of course. Exactly, yeah, exactly. And... I always feel like Middlesbrough paid the price over and over and over again for relegating you in 1988. I feel like, I feel like, you know... Can I explain something to you, which you're not going to like? Go, right? go on. Right, I was talking about this yesterday, I'm afraid, on another podcast, which is the second captain's podcast, which I was talking to. He was talking to me about Ireland and how Irish people feel about England. And I was saying, well, I'm not, I, I don't really know about that. All I know is that Scottish fans have got this weird thing with England that they hate England. And one of the things they 
the inferiority that we can't even be bothered to hate them. And I'll be honest with you, I don't think I'd give a middle for a <laughs> second thought since we beat you in 1997 in the FA Cup final, so I am sorry about that. That's all right. It's the story of my but life, tell man. Tell me your theory. Tell me your theory about how... No, actually, no, it's not a theory. I just think we obviously there was that playoff at Stamford Bridge where Middlesbrough won and sent Chelsea down, and we went up, and and they changed the playoff rules after that because there was that much violence and carry on between yeah. the two sets of fans. I mean, the next season yeah. the playoffs as we know it now came in, but then I think yeah. then I think well, Chelsea. Actually, you're right. You know what? I haven't. You're probably right about that historically. I never really thought about it, but you're right. It did. It was quite quite. Um, and then, well, that be just enormously bad idea, <laughs> really. Yeah, and then, and then Chelsea beat us in the ZDS final. Tony Dorigo scored, and then Chelsea beat yeah. us in the FA Cup final, and then they beat us in the League Cup final the year after Gascoigne's debut for us. Yeah. I just think, yeah. oh god, you beat us over and over. <laughs> um, I'm going to ask you two more questions and then let you get off because obviously, and, and people aren't going to know this, but we're doing this a couple of hours before England play um, yeah. Sweden this afternoon in the World Cup, so all this might be null and void by five o'clock, who knows. Um, what do your kids think of this? Because obviously they weren't around the first time with three lines, and now all of a sudden yeah. they can kind of... Because I, I think the feeling in the country now, and I'm going to touch some wood while I say this, but it does remind me very much of Euro 96, and obviously your kids weren't around while while happened, right. but now I suppose they can see a load of that. So how do they feel about it? Are they proud? Are they embarrassed? Are they? Yeah, mainly. I think, I think they're mainly embarrassed. Uh, I don't know, really. I mean, my daughter's quite sweet about it. She, I showed her yesterday a couple of things, uh, which was uh, one, of, one of them was a meme involving uh, the Wizard of Oz, involving Dorothy, the Wizard of Oz, uh, going down the yellow big road to football. I saw around. that one. Uh, yeah, so I showed her that, and she's a big fan of musicals, so, you know, there's a way in <laughs> for me there. And I also showed her, I think, uh, Windsor Castle band playing it, and she said she thought that was very moving. So she's quite nice about it. My son is much more rejecting, in general, of me, it, it, you know, completely. So recently, my son, who's like nearly 14, and he's like an archetypal teenager and basically only likes video games now, has rejected football, which he used to like, so he's not really interested in football now, uh, and uh, my children's books, which one of which he basically came up with the idea for, he just doesn't read my children's so books. That was, that was the and, parent and made, agency, wasn't it? Yeah, parent agency, yeah. And he spent most of his time with me taking piss and, and essentially saying, Dad, let's face it, you're washed up, and your best moments are in the 90s. <laughs> and uh, so, ironically, but nonetheless, it cuts obviously very deeply. So, uh, so I don't know, but I, he did come home from school yesterday or the day before and tell me that a couple of his mates had refused to believe that his dad wrote Three Lions. So that must mean the unspoken thing there is that he told them that. Yeah. So therefore, he must be proud of it at some level, even though he's never admitted to me, I don't think. Oh, that's good. And yeah. is there, this is the last question, is there a rewrite coming if they win it? No, I really don't think so. A few people have said this. Um, I mean, it's slightly complicated, isn't it? A few people have said, I haven't even thought about this on Twitter, that if they win it, we'll have to do a rewrite called It's Come Home. Mm. <laughs> it is home. Here it is. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll never be able to sing anymore. Uh, you know, it, it, It's Coming Home and whatever, all this, this song about disappointment uh, or whatever. And I hadn't really thought about that. Um, I mean, I, in my heart of hearts, even though I like, there's something I really like about the 98 version at the moment, which of course it begins with the commentary saying, Gareth Southgate, the whole of England is with you. Yeah. I mean, that is brilliant that it starts like that. But in my heart of hearts, I'm not sure 
he's very keen on it and playing <laughs> and plays it everywhere. So he might want to do a new one. I don't know. I'd have to speak to the boys and see how they felt about he, it. He did a thing on. He did. Uh, it was him trying to rewrite it, wasn't it, on that BBC thing that they showed before the World Cup started. That what would happen? No, I saw that. Yeah. Won it. I saw that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to comment on that. Not on the interview particularly, but if there was, I mean, you know, you said uh, I'm not going to jinx it. I'm going to touch wood or whatever. If there was anything that might jinx it, it was that BBC montage of people acting as if we'd won the trophy. I couldn't believe they'd done that. You know, I can't... I mean, I'm honestly... I mean, I'm not a very superstitious person, really, but I can't really talk about England, you know, definitely getting through to the semi-finals or anything. I find that really difficult. So even though it's coming home, it's being tweeted at me every 15 seconds by someone as if we're definitely going to win. I, 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 you know, I don't, I don't like to say that, really. And I only like to say it in the context of the song in terms of my actual belief you know I, I, I'll believe it when I see it and I really hope we do but I'm not going to say that we're definitely going to happen alright brilliant thank you, you know, for your time right? yeah is there anything you need to plug David I know you've just finished the tour yeah, which is I'll unfortunate my, time yeah I've just finished my tour if anyone listens to this in Australia it's definitely one listening to Australia it's possible yeah I'm touring there in September probably uh, an easier thing to plug is my children's book Birthday Boy made out on paperback now uh, and is my fourth children's book, and buy it for your nine to twelve year old. They'll love it. I have read Annie Malcolm and Parents oh. Agency for things for when you were on Sunday brunch. Actually, I think I got them both times to read. And you're, you're jolly good. I mean, I know that's Did condescending. You read them for your children. No, I read them. I read them because you were coming on Sunday brunch. Oh, that's very kind of you. Oh yeah, and they're working. It's not that kind of you. Cause yeah. it was work. <laughs> I was paid for it. But, yeah, yeah, no, fair, no, fair enough. But thank you very much. Uh, yeah, and also one of the. Uh, other things I get tweeted, I've talked a lot about what I get tweeted, but anyway, what well, is people telling me that their children, who are like 10, can't understand that the same bloke who wrote Parent Agency wrote that song, because it just doesn't seem to come from the same universe or same time <laughs> frame or whatever, but it is true, children, if you're listening, it's the same bloke. Where can everybody find you on Twitter, by the way, battling with idiots and talking to nice people? Uh, at Badil is where it is. I've got a new show, actually. You, you, I should say, by the way, to any listeners who don't know, I've been asked to do loads of interviews at the moment, and I don't do most of them. And the reason I'm doing this one, apart from the fact that it's been nice, is that Joel, who I'm speaking to now, he wrote a tweet uh, in reaction to someone slagging off my stand-up show, My Family Not the Sitcom, which was very, very funny, and which I then included in the show, because I've got a screen that I use in the show, uh, and it always got a laugh, and I always included it towards the latter half of the run, and on my tour that I just did, so I'm thanking Joel uh, in kind by doing this, but I am doing a new show, uh, trying out a new show, a new show about trolls and online abuse and, and my adventures with those people in in October at the Soho Theatre. So come and see that as well. Is it called Trolls, not the DreamWorks animated movie? It's not. At the moment, it's called Trolls, not the Dolls. Now, I'm not sure that's the right. I, I really like that title partly because of the rhyme, but also Trolls, not the. You have to think, right? What is the troll? You know, what does it mean? And you're right, a lot of people seem to think Troll, Trolls was a movie that didn't do very well. But originally, before that, Trolls were little dolls. Yeah, with a hair. So, so that's what I mean by not the dolls. That, that's what it's called at the moment, but it might change because it's a workshop. Well, I, I will come along like I've come along the last two. But thank you for the yeah. time, and, and thank you for bending to my emotional blackmail. I really appreciate it. That's all right, Joel. And thank you for the tweet. All right. Thank you very much, man. Take care. Cheers, man. Bye. Bye. Hi. This is Elton Wellsby, and you're listening to Alive and Kicking, the outstanding 90s football podcast. 
David Adil, ladies and gentlemen, how brilliant was that? Thank you so much to David for taking time out his busy, busy schedule to speak to us here on Alive and Kick In. Perfect timing in what is going on in this country right now with football's coming home. And it's great to hear from him, his thoughts on exactly that in 2018, as well as how it all came about at Euro 96 and then France 98, as well as the Chelsea bits and bobs as well. And I know Joel got his digs in there about Middlesbrough, didn't he? Bless him. But thank you so much to Joel as well, you absolute legend. Uh, for conducting that interview and sorting it out for us with your bit of emotional blackmail. But it worked. And we got David Baddiel on Alive and Kicking. Thank you very much. Make sure you check out David's uh, new books that he uh, mentioned on that interview as well. And, and enjoy this week. I mean, it could be a massive, massive, historic week here in 2018 for the England football team ahead of the uh, semi-final against Croatia on Wednesday night. And then, well, there'll be one more game, wouldn't they? Will it be Saturday night or Sunday afternoon? That's fingers crossed that football is finally coming home. Uh, the only thing I wanted to finally mention is the week after, when uh, we could be World Cup winners, or I don't even want to say it, touching every bit of wood that's around me, we are doing a special event. Yes, we're going live, God help us. <laughs> we are doing a live show uh, for the launch of a new bar that's just opened in London, uh, in the Camberwell area. It's called Golazzo, after that staying in uh, for obviously... Uh, the great Football Italia show of the 90s on Channel 4. It's a bar exactly that, dedicated to football, Italian football in the 90s, as well as a bit of Italia 90 as well. We are part of the first half of this big launch night. Myself, Joel, Matthew, the whole AK Live and Kicking 90s crew. We have a special guest in Tony Dorigo, of course, was part of the Italian 90 squad um, in Italy for England, and then later played for Torino in Serie A. So we'll chat all through that in front of a live audience. I'm sure it'll be okay. The nerves are starting to get me, but I'm sure we'll be fine on this live event. There's also a second half with the guys from Gentleman Ultra, and they'll be interviewing Mark Haitley uh, about his time at AC Milan, and I'm sure some 90s bits onwards as well at Glasgow Rangers and that. But if you want to join us, you can. Tickets are still available um, for the evening if you go to the twitter feed at golazzo london all the details are on there or you can go to designmynight.com type in golazzo and the all the details should come up there i believe there's still tickets available It'd be great to come down and see you um have a little chat about 90s football um hopefully you'll enjoy our show we'll be chatting to tony um who has been on the show before but we, it was only a quick interview so we'll get to go in depth about his um, and Italian 90 memories uh, specifically and some other bits and bobs. So come and join us. Golazzo London, alive and kicking live. It's going to be a fantastic evening no matter what. Um, there's pizza, there's beer, there's Nesso Dorma. Apparently there's panini stickers in the bathroom. There's alive and kicking. There's Tony Dorigo, there's Mark Haley. It's going to be a fun night. So if you're around on Friday the 20th July, if you need something once the World Cup is over to fill that gap before the new season starts, this is a perfect evening. We may even be able to celebrate England Winning the World Cup. I'm going to say that quietly because I don't want to jinx it. But yeah, come and join us. But thank you very much again to David Baddiel. Thank you again to Joel. I've been Ash Rose. We'll be back next week with this week in the 90s. And who knows what will what, what happen between then and now. Because it's a massive week for England. So come on, England. Football's coming home. And until next time, keep it 90s. It's coming home. It's coming. Football's coming home. It's coming home. Is coming. Oh, listen to the real thing. It's much better than me singing. It's coming home.